0: Hello, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, and I'm an American with a passion for British royal history. Last week, we delved into the various royal houses that have ruled and reigned over the United Kingdom. We looked into the illustrious House of Windsor, you know, the current house over England, and the House of Orange, which is one of the shortest houses to rule over England. In the theme of houses, this week we are beginning to look into a different kind of house. The various royal residences. When we think of the royal family, or royalty in general, the first things that come to mind are the palaces, castles, and other country homes that they reside in. In recent decades, some of the royal residences have been opened up to the public to tour and see some of the official staterooms that are used for royal functions. There's a lot of property here, so what are these official royal residences, what ones are being used, what ones are open to the public, and when? Stick around, I'll try and make it all a little bit clearer for you. A royal residence is simply that, a residence where a member of the royal family lives. Now, between the crown estate, the royal collection slash historic royal palaces, and the royals themselves, there's a lot of property. However, not all are used as official residences and instead are museums and are preserved for history. And some are just the royals' private homes and don't serve any official function to the crown. It's just where they live. What are some of these estates? What are some of them? Well, those that are owned by the Crown Estate are, of course, Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, and subsequently Frogmore Cottage, Clarence House, Kensington Palace, the Palace of Hollywood House, St. James's Palace... And Hillsborough Castle. Now, what is the Crown Estate? Well, just to keep it simple, the Crown Estate is a collection of lands and holdings in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland that belong to the British monarch as a corporation sole. So it's not owned by the government, but it's also not privately owned by the sovereign. It is considered the sovereign's public estate. It is, you know, quote-unquote, owned by the crown, so whomever is sovereign technically owns these properties. Buckingham Palace is the official center of the monarchy. It is the seat of the sovereign of England in the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. It is the center of everything. And it wasn't always that. It used to sort of rotate around Windsor Castle and a few other estates. But up until recently, it has been the center. And we can thank Queen Victoria. When Queen Victoria was a young queen, she went to Buckingham Palace, fell in love with it. And it's been the center ever since. And it's really expanded. Now, Kensington Palace is weird. Kensington Palace has many functions. It wears many hats. It is where a lot of royals live and it's also a museum. I, in my own personal mind, I like to refer to Kensington Palace as the Royal Apartment Complex because so many royals live there. Here are some of the royals that currently live there and have lived there. Most notably, uh, the Princess Margaret lived there. She lived there after she married Lord Snowden in 1960. Uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, lived there. She lived in apartment 8A and 8B, I believe. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge live there with their family there in apartment 1A, I believe. The Duke and Duchess of Gloucester live there. The Duke and Duchess of Kent live there. And uh, the Prince and Princess Michael of Kent live there. And also, Princess Eugenie and Mr. Jack Brooksbank live there as well. Uh, The Duke and Duchess of Sussex did live live there for a short period, but then they moved to Frogmore Cottage. But that's not all who live there. There are more people that live at Kensington Palace. Other courtiers, military members, staff, and some individuals outside the royal family do live at Kensington Palace, but they pay a lot of rent. Um, Kensington Palace is a courtesy residence that the Queen has given courtesy apartments to for people who have done a lot of service to her and to the monarchy. Um, In the book, Lady in Waiting by Lady Anne Glen Connor, she lived with Princess Margaret at Kensington Palace for a year, and she liked it. She seemed to really enjoy herself there. But Kensington Palace is a little weird. Clarence House is, of course, the official London residence of the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall. St. James's Palace is most notably where Princess Anne resides. Uh, Balmoral and Sandringham are different. So Balmoral Castle and Sandringham House are different. They are actually privately owned, but we see them a lot in social media. Most notably, the queen and her family go to Balmoral during the summer season for about two months and the royal family spends Christmas and New Year's at Sandringham. But those are privately owned by the sovereign. They are not owned by the Crown Estate. And they subsequently get passed to whomever is sovereign, um, much like property gets handed down from generation to generation. Out of all of these properties, what ones are open to the public? Well, not all of them are. So Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, And the Palace of Hollywood House are a part of, uh, you know, Royal Collection Trust or the Royal Collection in this sense that when the Queen is away for select periods of time, they're open to the public. You can go on the Royal Collection uh, website. You can search from there, and they'll, they will have things about uh, palace tours, when they are, and how to book tickets for them. Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle are most notably open during the summer season when the Queen is away at Balmoral. Um, and those are kind of audio tour and sort of like a herd where they have a bunch of people in a space and they kind of just walk them around and you have an audio tour. And the same thing happens with the Palace of Hollywood House as well. But you can snoop around and find online night tours. And these are official night tours through the Royal Collection. They have a very small group of people. I believe the maximum is 30. And it's done at night. It's a couple hours. And it's an actual tour guide that walks you through. And it's a little bit more personal. I've heard from celebrities and those that have worked on The craft that they've done these night tours and they really prefer them instead of the gigantic herd of people. You get to actually experience the space a little more sandringham and balmoral are also open to the public but those are completely different balmoral it's only the grounds of balmoral and they have some like shops and stands set up in the ballroom at the end of the tour so you do not get to tour the interior of balmoral it's just the grounds but balmoral is a gigantic estate So there's a lot for you to see. Similarly, Sandringham, parts of the interior are open, but it's a lot of grounds as well. Clarence House is open as well, both to the grounds and the first floor staterooms. But again, that is when the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall are out and officially away for the season, usually around the summertime. Hillsborough and Kensington Palace are a little bit different. So those are both residences that the monarch does use, but they're also museums. So you can go to Kensington Palace anytime for a museum tour. That is completely fine. But you can only go to the museum section, and they are very clear about what is open to the public and what is instead a private residence. In Lady Glen Connor's book, her room actually shared a wall, with one of the museum rooms and there was a door that would connect the two. Princess Margaret's apartment actually could be bigger, but they... We're using some spaces for the museum, and she made note that she could hear people walking around during certain times of the day. And she was always, you know, anxious that they would think her door was one you could open, and they'd see her sleep. No, they'd walk in, and she'd be changing or sleeping. So, Kensington Palace, you can go to pretty much any time when it's open, but they're very, they're very clear about where you can go. You can't walk around a corner and go hang with Prince William or. Uh, the Duke of Gloucester. That's just not possible. They have a lot of security to make sure that the resident side and the museum side stay separate. Hillsborough Castle is the same way. And that is the palace, the castle grounds in certain interiors as well. Now I've tossed around the Royal Collection and uh, a company called Historic Royal Palaces. So there are properties that are still owned by the crown and by the government, but they are run by a charity called Historic Royal Palaces, and it is an independent charity that manages some of the United Kingdom's unoccupied royal palaces. So this includes... Uh, estates that the queen and the crown still own but they don't use as royal residences anymore in theory the queen could look and go i want to go to this palace and in theory she has the jurisdiction to do that but it's highly unlikely because they're not they're just not able to be what she needs them to be but in theory it's still owned by whomever is sovereign in the crown estate But they're unoccupied, and they're no longer royal residences. So Historic Royal Palaces comes in, maintains them, does historical preservation. They're used as museums. Sometimes they house official parts of the royal collection. And you can go and actually walk through a lot, if not almost all, of these palaces and castles. So what are some of these places? Well, there's, of course, Hampton Court Palace. Kew Palace, the Tower of London, parts of Hillsborough Castle and Kensington Palace, like what I've already said, the Banquet Hall, and I believe Brighton Pavilion. I've seen them do work in Brighton Pavilion. So what does this mean that you can do? Well, most of these are open like museums. You can go on certain tours. You can, especially at Hampton Court Palace, because it's two, it's, Hampton Court Palace is weird. It's like two palaces Frankensteined into one, but you can go to these places tour the uh, large staterooms, some private areas and um, see a lot of wonderful art. There's actors and historians there giving tours that really try to give the feel of these old uh, medieval and renaissance palaces. Um, Brighton Pavilion, I've seen some tours given, but Brighton Pavilion is so out there in the terms of you know late 18th, early 19th spl- century splendor. Uh, most notably, uh, the crown jewels are held at the tower of London. And of course the tower of London was this, um, prison area. So they have a lot of things there like you can see where Anne Boleyn was held and where some beheadings were done, but these castle, these, uh, estates listed are unoccupied. They are not official Royal residences anymore. They were at one time and they were at one time, the centers of the monarchy, but now they are no longer. And instead, they serve official functions like housing, uh, large quantities within the Royal Collection, and our museums for use for educational purposes. And most are open to the public. You'll have to look online to find hours and how much tickets will cost to get in there. But of course, we are, at the time of recording this, we are still in a COVID world. So right now, things are closed up again, and hopefully they will be reopened soon. But there's the big distinction between the two. Those that are managed by historic royal palaces are more museum-based and aren't official residences anymore. Those owned by the Crown Estate are official residences used for official functions. But then there are those like Kensington Palace and Hillsborough Castle that are weird exceptions where they're both owned by the Crown Estate and ran by historic royal palaces. And private estates such as... Balmoral Castle and Sandringham House that serve more private functions but are still opened to the public to be toured at certain parts of the year. Royal residences are some things that we look forward to when it comes to ro- the royal family and royalty in general. Touring these places are, you know, great for tourism, it's great for history, and it's a great way for the royal family to see to seem more accessible and closer to the people that they serve. No, whenever I think of tourism and royal residences, I always think back to the crowds of people outside the gates of Buckingham Palace vying for a picture of the front facade, trying to see if they can get a picture of the Queen. But this is not going to be our first foray into royal residences. In the next few episodes, we are going to be delving deeper into some of these very famous residences, some that are still used and some that aren't used anymore. Some have very fun, interesting histories, and those have, there are some wacky and wild stories, especially those associated with King Henry VIII. Those are some fun and interesting stories to talk about. They're just, they're just too good not to talk about. There you have it. There's a little introduction and explanation into some of the official residences within the royal family. I do hope you enjoyed it and enjoy spending time with me at the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. If you want to email me, let me know how I'm doing. And if there's anything that you would like me to cover, you can email me at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com or message me through Anchor. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Of course, rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can listen where most podcasts are are distributed. Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and many, many more. This has been... A wonderful time to spend with all of you. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you guys in the next one.